Hello, I'm Raymond. And I'm Zara, and we're from the Multifaith Chaplaincy at Bates College. The Multifaith Chaplaincy warmly and creatively nurtures the religious, spiritual, secular, and searching communities at Bates College to encourage students to live into fullness and build deeper connections. We value curiosity and create spaces for conversation, contemplation, and connection. We've named our podcast Buen Camino, or Good Journey in Spanish, because we'll be talking to people from the Bates community about their personal stories, the paths they've taken, and where they found meaning along the way. Our guest today is Director of the Bates Office of Admissions, Daryl Uwe. Daryl sat down with Multifaith Fellows Alexis Hudes and Matt Suslovic to discuss his love of theater, the difference between a calling and a passion, and how a commitment to equity influences his work in admissions. I'm Alexis. Hi, I'm Matt. And we're so excited to have Daryl from admissions with us today. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Great to be here. Okay, well, Daryl, where were you born? And can you tell us anything about the community that you were born into? Sure. So I was born in a small town in New Jersey, about half an hour west of New York City. It's a pretty white suburb, but uh, with a big population in terms of um, Asian. And even though that was my immediate community, as a Filipino, my family found other pockets of Filipinos within the state. And so that was kind of an extended community as well. And then my mom is the oldest of 16. And although some of the siblings still live in the Philippines and one in Singapore, all the others live in New Jersey or New York. So for every holiday, they would all come to our house in New Jersey. And so that was my community, um, my family at any event. That was 25 to 40 people, just family. So it was it was always a loud sort of crowd at the house. And beyond that, I ended up going to high school in about half an hour away. Um, and that was a totally different community because my classmates were from all over the state uh, in New Jersey. So I got to know a lot of New Jersey outside of my neighborhood, which is great. Um, New Jersey gets a bad rap a lot. And so I, I love it, all parts of it. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what was your high school like? And was there anyone from that place that really had a long-lasting impression on you? Sure. I went to an all-boys, private, Catholic, conservative, Benedictine Moncron High School in northern New Jersey. Yeah, try going there. And I was <laughs> the first one in 16 years to even consider um, small liberal arts schools. But in terms of my community there, I was one of uh, four Asians and I think seven students of color just within my class. So it was pretty white. It's pretty homogenous. And... It was a great education. Academically, it was phenomenal. Um, socially, it was a little hard. I actually came out my junior year, and I came out to my Latin teacher, uh, who I had for all, all four years of high school. And I actually wrote a poem about that experience, which then was published in the literary magazine at the school, which came out the last day of my junior year. So I had no idea how the school reacted until I came back as a senior. And although I was never physically hurt, um, there were a few people that I used to be friends with that come senior year never even talked to me. Um, and sometimes there was one main academic building with a long hallway, and there were times where I would walk down and it was almost the parting of the Red Sea. So most of my quote unquote friends 
in high school. I, I leaned to hang out with the adults and the teachers. And my Latin teacher really became kind of like a father figure to me. And I um, kind of lost touch with him uh, after I left for college. But he eventually became the director of college counseling at my high school. So when he got into college counseling and found out that I was in admissions, he reached out and I handled New Jersey as a recruiting area at the time. So I would visit my old high school. And, uh, and so we got to connecting all over again. And then student became teacher and teacher mm-hmm. became student. Um, so it was a really interesting turn of tables. We are in touch all the time. He was at my wedding. So he, he's a really important person in my life for many reasons. Coming from a religious high school, how did that influence um, any of your outlooks on religion? And do you have a particular religious or spiritual background from your childhood that, and from today that might be different? I grew up in a traditional Filipino Catholic household. Um, we went to church all the time. I was baptized, had a confirmation. Uh, so going to Catholic school felt natural. Going to mass felt natural. But it wasn't until I really was coming to terms with my own sexuality, my own identity, that I started to question some of the teachings within the the Catholic Church. So when I got to college, I started finding my own way and decided to, to not go to church. When I went home, I went with my family. But even at this point, I don't really go to church anymore. So I have a faith. Um, I, I believe in a higher being, but I don't know if I believe in sort of Catholicism. My husband is Jewish, uh, so it's a multi-faith household, um, but he doesn't really practice either. So when we got married uh, in 2016, we had a Unitarian Universalist uh, who officiated our wedding, and we asked her to make it as non-denominational as possible. Um, it actually became more political, our wedding ceremony, than anything, because when we got engaged, it was just announced that the Supreme Court allowed same-sex marriage to be legal across the country. And that was the reason why we decided to finally do it. It's great. Thank you. So is who you are today similar to who you were in high school and college? Definitely not. I, in high school, since it was all boys and we had a dress code, um, I mean, my classmates were pretty much walk and J. Crew catalogs, like beyond preppy. And when I got to college, I was still preppy, preppier than anyone else at my college. I was kind of that kid that you all knew on college because I would wear like the blazer to class with a briefcase. Like I was that guy. (laughs) Um, And now I think back to it and I'm not like that at all. I also hated the outdoors and now I'm a huge outdoor enthusiast. So I can't imagine my life without sort of uh, bike or hiking. And all of that was because of my husband, who is a huge cyclist and outdoors person. Bob and I, we always say that there are two parts of my life. It was um, pre-Bob, which is all drama, and then post-Bob, which is more kind of um, more calm and more relaxed and sort of enjoying life. I'm not worrying about what other people are saying about me. Awesome. Um, Where did you go to college? I went to Westland. So earlier on, I said that I was the first one from my high school to even consider applying to to Westland. Most of my classmates went to either Ivy League schools or NESCAC or uh, Catholic institutions. 
but I was the first one to even apply to Wes. And Wesleyan, compared to my high school experience, was a breath of fresh air. It was the exact opposite of my high school. And it's exactly what I needed for college. And I think um, it allowed me to just be myself, starting in a, with a fresh slate. I, I could just be who I wanted to be. And so even from the first day of college, I was out already. I finally felt free. That's awesome. Did you go in with an idea of what you wanted to study? Um, thought I wanted to study um, psychology and sociology. So I took the intro-level courses for both of them and hated both of them. And then I thought I was going to be a studio art major. Uh, took the audition class and got in, but it met at the same time as theater rehearsal. And so I decided between um, studio art and theater and theater one and ended up majoring in theater. But I did a double major in theater and English, um, which is not what I was expecting, Definitely not what my parents were expecting. My older brother went to Cornell for engineering and younger sister. My younger sister went to Columbia for pre-med. So in my family, there was an unspoken expectation to go to an Ivy League school and major in some kind of pre-professional. So one, I went to Wesleyan and their reaction to that was, well, isn't that an all girls school? I said, no, that's Wellesley. This is Wesleyan. So first, I had to educate my folks about liberal arts schools in America and then convince them that Wesleyan was actually a really good school. And then when I declared a double major in theater and English, my parents then asked me, well, what in the world are you going to do with those degrees? I said, I have no idea, but we'll find out after I graduate. So go liberal arts. <laughs> you have an idea of upon graduation of what you wanted to do and what was that journey like? Sure. So I knew I wanted to be on a college campus through my job and through my position on student government. I did a lot of work with the administration at Wesleyan. Um, and I loved learning more about sort of the inner workings of a college. I loved dealing with the leadership and sort of the, the issues that comes with running an institution. And so when I was a senior, uh, there was an option for students to apply to work in the admission office. So all of my friends and I applied. All my friends got it except for me, but oh, no. you know, I'm, I'm not bitter at this point, really. I'm fine. It's okay. Um, and so when I was graduating, I decided to apply it to res life jobs as well as uh, admissions jobs. And the first place that offered me a job was actually Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. And so obviously I took the job since I needed one. I kept thinking that it was only going to be for two years. And then after two years, I would eventually go to graduate school for, quote unquote, communications whatever that meant. Um, but every year after the two years, I kept thinking, where else? what else should I do? So I started looking at jobs. But every interview that I had elsewhere, it always brought me back and made me realize how amazing an opportunity that I had at Brown. Mm -hmm. So I decided to stay at Brown until eight years in, I realized there was really no more room for me. It was a very senior heavy office. And so after eight years, I decided that this admissions was what I really wanted to do. I, I loved it. And so I wanted to go on to get my master's um, in higher education. So if I ever wanted to become a dean or director, I would need that credential. So I looked at grad school programs in higher ed. And then Harvard was too hard to pass up. It was only less than a year long program. And then I would go back to my career. So it was a great opportunity. But after that, 
it was where else I wanted to go. And so ironically, my partner asked me when I was looking for jobs, he said, where do you want to move next? And I said, anywhere but Ohio. Um, if you know Bob, he's from Ohio. Um, and he said, well, why? Why not? And he sent me an article from the New York Times about uh, Columbus's booming, growing LGBT community. And I said, fine, we'll look. And so he sent me a job posting at Kenyon College and I applied and I ultimately got the job at Kenyon. It was a lateral move, though. I left Brown as an associate and joined Kenyon's team after grad school as an associate. But the person who hired me left after two months and became the director at Middlebury College. And so my first year at Kenyon, we were without a director. My dean did a national search. I put my hat in the ring. And by April of that year, at the end of my first year, I was named director at Kenyon. And then I found the job here at Bates for a director. And I met the dean a while ago on a panel in New York City. And I thought that she was really great. So... I decided I would love to work for her. So when I found out that uh, there was an opening in her office, I knew I had to apply. And the rest is history. Hmm. So you've worked in residence life at Wesleyan University, also an English and theater major. Yes. How are those life experiences transferable to your work in admissions? Got it. In terms of res life, just dealing with students and dealing with the unpredictable sort of Issues that may come up and learning to stay calm in emergency, quote unquote, emergency situations, what people think are emergencies are not always emergencies, but just learning how to be and provide great customer service, always thinking of others. Uh, that is kind of what I learned from sort of my time as RA at Wes. Um but also event planning. As an RA, you have to do a lot of programs for your dorm and for your residents. So that was also a great skill to learn. In terms of English and theater, I think higher ed and admissions in general is perfect for, for me because of my background. It is a little theater. It is a little of English in terms of reading applications and critically analyzing all this paper. And then for theater, whenever I do an information session or I have to present, I always feel like it's my stage and I can just kind of um, have my own little production in front of an audience. And so I, I always say that my time in the theater, particularly as a stage manager, prepared me for my current job as director of admissions. I always see within an admission office the dean of an admission office to be the director of a production for theater, while the director of admissions office is like the stage manager of a theater. So the dean in admissions or the director of a theater is thinking big picture um, while the director of admissions office or the stage manager within theater um, has to deal with all of the background um, details and make sure that everything on stage is running perfectly smooth. Um, even though things may be hectic behind the curtain, um, no one knows about all of that as long as the stage manager is making things run smoothly. Um, so it's, it's dealing with a lot of personalities and making sure that everybody on the team, whether it's an actor or an actress or a designer or someone from the crew, is heard um, all the way up to the, to the director. Um, so I feel like that is my job. Um, or that was my job as a stage manager and my current job as a director of admission. That is a great analogy. <laughs> I love that. And on the subject of um, plays and directors and stage managing, 
Do you think that you have a passion and a calling and are they different things? Because I'm seeing you just light up talking about theater and I have to suspect that that's probably a passion of yours. Yes, I think as much as I still dream of singing and dancing on a Broadway stage, I think theater for me will always just be a passion and something that I will always love, something I will always go to and enjoy. Um, theater is, it's its my happy place. Whenever I'm in New York, I will always try to see a show if possible, if not more than one. But I feel that my professional calling has been admissions. I can't imagine doing anything else at this point. I love the cyclical nature of our job. I love that every day is different. I love the team that I work with. But I also just love working with students and to know that the decisions that we are making at the community table are changing lives, some even more so than for others. There are students that we read about who never even thought about going to college. And to, to, to know that we're opening doors and providing access makes every day worthwhile. And how do you approach... Um those decisions you're making in your office with that commitment to justice that you want to be making? I think given Bates's mission statement in terms of its commitment to diversity, access, and inclusion, that has really defined or guided us as a team, as an office, in terms of everything we do moving forward. It's the reason why we became test optional over 35 plus years ago. We were one of the first schools that were test optional before test optional became a movement. It's the reason why we decided to get rid of the supplemental essay a few years ago, um, all in the name of equity and access. And so whenever we make decisions, we always have to think about what is best for the college. Uh, it may not be the best decision for the student, but we all know that all the students that apply to Bates are academically qualified to be here. So we know that they're going to do well somewhere else. Can you explain a little bit more about the decision to cut the supplemental essay and how that connects to the commitment to equity that you mentioned? Sure. So when I was a Kenyan before Bates, um, we had this, the discussion of whether or not to keep the supplemental essays. Kenyan had three short supplemental essays. And the research there was that uh, there were four cohorts of students, of applicants that were not completing their application once they got to the supplemental essays. This were students of color, first gen, men, and scientists. And for some reason, once you got rid of the supplement, all four cohorts in the end were completing their application at a higher rate. So that was one. So I brought that information to Bates when I got here. And then we did a A-B experiment where um, we gave 20 files to one person in the office with the supplemental essay and then gave the same 20 files to someone else in the office, but removed the supplemental essay. And then we compared and about 95% of the time, they were pretty similar with or without the essay. So we decided that there's so many other reasons that we will take a student. There's some students over the years that we said yes to who wrote not so great Y Bates essays. And there were other kids who wrote amazing Y Bates essays, but who eventually were denied. And so in the end, there were other reasons within the file and outside the file that led to admitting or denying a student. So we felt that the essay was not... Um, as important as everybody thought it was. And it allowed a more diverse pool to apply to Bates as well. 
um, students, not just from different racial backgrounds, but from uh, geographic territories and areas that we've never seen before of now that we don't have the supplement. Um, so it's one less barrier for students in terms of the application process. And have you found that obviously now there's a bigger pool of people who are interested in Bates and that is so cool and that's a more diverse pool that also of course corresponds to a higher selectivity rate. Mm -hmm. Does, do you find, and this is still, I mean, I know in recent years that number has gone down and down our acceptance rate, so it might be too soon to tell, but does that dissuade any other people from looking at Bates because now it, it's seen as even more selective and potentially even more exclusive? So in my last three years that I've been here, I started in 2016 and that year it was close to 30% admit rate. I think it was 28%. And then my second year it went down to 22 and then it was... No, it was 18 and then it was 12 last year. Mm -hmm. um, so we are every year we become more selective. And so we were worried that because we become more selective that some students just may not apply thinking that why even bother? So we want to make sure that we still appeal to a, like a wide range of individuals. Uh, we want to make sure that the ethos of Bates is still captured within the applications, but also on campus once we bring the students uh to Lewiston, to Bates. Great, thank you. So you talked about how theater is a passion, your work in admissions is a calling, and it seems like you have really good pers perspective on yourself and the difference between those. And I'm wondering how to figure out distinguishing between those as you start to think about jobs and figure out like what things that might not translate to something that you actually do as a job and vice versa? Great question. I think you have to just figure out through trial and error in terms of what um, you can start off with a job where it's both your passion and your what you think is your calling. And then um, like if I started my life in, in theater, like that would have been amazing. I don't know if my trajectory would have stayed within theater, but knowing that that was not the path I decided, I know it was still something that I loved. So for me, that is a passion. It's almost like you're, um, it's the difference between an extracurricular activity and your major. And so for me, it's like your calling would be similar to your college major or your academics while your lifelong passion would be the things you did outside of the classroom. And that helped me balance sort of uh, what I was looking for in a job after college. Cool. How do you think we should be preparing students to find meaning in today's world? I think to find jobs or occupations that really appeal to you as an individual. Um, I don't think I could do what I do if I didn't believe in the institutions that I've worked for. So although Brown and Kenyon and Bates were never on my college list, if I were a senior again, they all would have been on my college list as a high school student. So one, find a place that you believe in. If you don't believe in the values of that institution or that organization, then it might not be the right fit for you um, in terms of just finding happiness in your in your job. I think it's okay to explore. Like you don't have to find um, your dream job right after college. Research has shown that 
your generation will change careers, not just jobs, but careers, anywhere from five to seven times throughout your life, which is why a, gr- a liberal arts curriculum is, is great for that in terms of providing you a skill set. So to think now, like we don't even know what's, what's going to um, come about or, or, or happen 10, 15, 20 years from now um, in terms of jobs and what's needed. Um, so to go to college um, for something specific is really hard because those skill sets may become obsolete pretty quickly, whereas a liberal arts school really provides you with the skills to really do and be adaptable and, tr- and be able to do a lot of things later on, no matter what you decide. But I think for me, it was just finding a place that supported me and sort of supported my beliefs and allowed me to be my authentic self. So. If you feel that you are taking a job and you have to hide who you really are, that I wouldn't take that job then. If you don't believe in like a job on Wall Street and you don't like business, then why why do it? Why why do those things if you aren't feeling comfortable with the decisions you're making on a day-to-day basis? And so for me, it's it's finding a job will allow you to really be your true self in every aspect of your job. Do you think that's what gives you meaning? Um, I find meaning in a lot of different ways. I was thinking about this question in terms of what gives me meaning or where do I find meaning? And for me, it's anything that allows me to understand the personal, taking something personal and making it universal, whether it's an essay in an application that is a very specific experience, but anybody can relate to it. To, to theater. I talked about that before in terms of what it does. I mean, for me, it's I get lost for two hours in a theater with all these strangers and it's just magic on stage. And great theater is theater that makes you question what you just saw, but also make you, makes you question the world around you and maybe even your own life sometimes. I just, so we just bought a house uh, in Freeport. So when I first moved to Bates, I was in Lewiston literally about two blocks from the admission office. It was great. But when I was at Brown and when I was at Kenyon, I could walk to work or it was less than a five minute drive. Now that we have a house in Freeport, it's about a half an hour drive to campus. It's the longest professional commute I've ever had. Um, I thought I was going to hate it, but I've discovered podcasts and podcasts that I listen to like Hidden Brain and a few others have allowed me to really th- think about the world in my half hour time by myself. And it's, it just makes, it's a great time just to pause and reflect and kind of meditate alone and just think about the day that happened and think about the day that's going to come. But uh, to also understand that there's a bigger world beyond what I'm dealing with right now today. And that always just keeps me grounded and makes me see perspective at the same time. Well, Daryl, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's just been fascinating to listen to all of your wisdom. um, And I hope we still get to see you on some stage sometime in the near future. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you to the Bates Digital Media Studio, the Multifaith Fellows, Multifaith Chaplain Brittany Longsdorf, and Daryl Uwe for sharing his story with us. Thanks for listening, and we hope you join us next time.